Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. The Laughs Never Stop in the new book out in stores right now by Brian Vernier. It's titled All in a Nutshell, and Brian is right here with me to talk about it. Brian, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's great to be talking with you here tonight, Brian. Can you tell me about All in a Nutshell? What can readers expect? All in a Nutshell, I wrote probably. 20 years ago, and I actually started writing love poems to my wife back then. And then I started writing short stories, and then I started adding characters to them. And this is one of the stories that I came up with. I guess I don't even know how. I just kind of (laughs) wrote it, and it just happened. (laughs) What kinds of readers do you think would be really into this? I think, I really think, everybody's asked me about an age group on it. I really think it's for any age group. I have friends and people that have called me and they're like, I'm 51. And they're like in their 50s or 30s and 20s. And they buy it for their kids, but they love it. It has such a great story to it and everything like that. Have you ever published or anything like that before this? No, sir, I have not. Wow, such a big deal to have your first book out there on shelves. How does it feel now to be a published author? (laughs) It feels really good because in reality, we kept it from everybody. Basically, (laughs) me and my wife were the only ones that knew. Oh, wow. So when the book came out, we had our kids over and everything, and we laid books out in front of them, and they they about fell on the ground. Wow. (laughs) What was your reaction then when you got it in the mail, that first copy, you got to take it out and hold it for the first time? Oh, my Lord, I was so excited. I actually was a little bit, I was a little teary-eyed, mm. you know, and my wife was as well, because she helped me so much on it. I mean, I wrote it and everything, but she really helped me with the layout. She really helped me with the illustrations. I was kind of at the end of my rope. I mean, the illustrations took the longest, and I was just like, I'm done with illustrations. That's good. <laughs> She's like, no, 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 no. She was really there for me through this whole thing going, no, we're going to make this book perfect. And I completely agreed with her. Mm. You had said that this is one of the stories that you have written. So is there more after this? Do you plan on maybe publishing more? Oh, yes, for sure. I will. I have them. I've been going through them. I have probably another five to seven that I've already written back in that time frame about 15, 20 years ago or so. A lot of people do ask me if I'm going to write a follow up to Charlie and Norman. That is the character's names. We're not sure on that yet. I've been kind of kicking it around, but not positive. Brian, I'm kind of getting a sense that writing is an easy thing for you. The words just seem to flow out and you have a lot of ideas. Do you ever get writer's block or does the going ever get tough for you? I do on some things. A lot of what I write basically comes from my heart. I know what I'm writing. I've had people ask me to write them some poems like for an anniversary, a church anniversary or for Christmas. And if I don't really connect with them, then yeah, I do have trouble. I've uh, like, I can come in my, I can come in back in my room and be alone and I can write a poem and I mean, a good sized poem and probably like an hour. All my stuff is done in a poem form. I can write a good sized Christmas poem in probably an hour. 
And if I get writer's block, it could take me three days to mm. get one to come out. So I know that doesn't seem like that long, but when I know my pace of writing, it's a long time. Do you ever battle that inner editor while you're writing? You're just trying to get the words out, but you keep second guessing what's going on on paper? Oh, all the time. Mm. All the time. All the, I sit and read it to myself out loud. And yes, I, I really do. I really do. Uh, how do you get that inner editor to shut up so the words can just get out of your head? <laughs> I don't know. That, that <laughs> inner editor is not really a really good listener sometimes. But, mm. you know, and then a lot of times when I write a story, I write keywords on the top of the page, mm. like whatever I'm writing about. And then I just start writing uh, usually four line verses. And then after I write them all, then I basically go back through and I'll put them in the direct correct order that they need to go into. Brian, so many of the people listening to us right now are authors just starting out. They want to get their first work out there, too. What's your best advice that you could give them? My best advice to them is take your time. Do it right. Fulton Books was a great for me. I had no idea what I was doing. They led me through this entire thing. But the main thing is, is just be patient and it'll come to you as far as like the proper illustrations, the proper editing and everything like that. Mm. The book is titled All in a Nutshell, and it's written by Brian Vernier. You can find this everywhere like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and it's published by Fulton Books. Brian, it was really great having you here tonight. I had a nice time talking with you. Thank you very much, and I appreciate everything that you do for authors out there. Next to me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Nathan Ablin. Nathan, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you for having me. It's great you got a new book out in stores right now. It's called The Quest for the Key, A Galactic Guard Adventure. So can you tell me all about the book? Sure. It's a story about a young boy in the galaxy where there's two factions, the Cosmic Regime and the Galactic Guard. Cosmic Regime controls by force, fear, and terror, while the Galactic Guard tries to maintain peace and order. And this boy is unique because he's the only blue-eyed person in the galaxy at this time. Blue-eyed people have been eliminated because of religious beliefs and prior history of trying to have the superior race. Mm. And true blue eyes are not typically genetically correct. Everybody should be brown-eyed, and there's no reason that we should have blue eyes. So they've eliminated blue eyes because of that reason. So here comes a kid that's blue-eyed, the only one they've ever seen in the galaxy for years. And then there's also a prophecy about that ties into the kid and the journey that they take to find out the prophecy, and that will reveal a different origin for mankind than expected from the two current ones between evolution and the creation. Wow, what a story, Nathan. Where did you get the idea for this? It just kind of <laughs> worked itself there. <laughs> you know, I started just researching UFO history and things like that, and it just kind of took its own life. I think that's what happens with most writers. You start one place and it goes all the way to the left or something like that. It just kind of developed itself. Mm. What sorts of readers did you have in mind when you were writing it? I'm a huge sci-fi fan, and I always feel that there's never enough sci-fi out there. Mm. And so I really wanted to create something that people could enjoy, especially like if, you know, because I like movies. I like, like Star Wars and Star Trek and shows mm. like that. And that's kind of how I vision this story, you know, something like that. Mm. Have you ever done anything like this before, writing or publishing? Nope. This is the first time. <laughs> well, congratulations. It's quite an accomplishment. Did it take you a long time? It took me 14 years to get it done. 
as I started in 2008 when the economy tanked and I wasn't working and I just sat down one day and just said, well, I got nothing better to do, just create a story. And I started from there and, and then just over time trying to work around work and other times, you know, it just got there finally. Then when the day came, you finally got that first copy in the mail, you got to hold it in your hands. What was going through your mind? I was like, wow, you actually did it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think that's the thing with most people is like, you know, they start something and then actually to go all the way to fruition and see it actually done and completed is pretty a big milestone, I think, for people. What's the most rewarding aspect of it now for you now that you're a published author? I think the biggest point is, A, I did something that even my family said I couldn't do. Hmm. Because I'm not a huge book reader. And so for me, it's like, you can't write a book, you don't read books. And I'm like, <laughs> I can write a book, I'll show you. And so I did. Mm. A lot of our listeners are aspiring authors. They want to get their first book out there as well. What advice do you have for them? You know, go for it. You know, there's a reader for every book, I believe. And I think that if you really dedicate to it and, you know, set your mind to it, you can do it. You know, I live with a motto, believe it to achieve it. And in fact, I have a bracelet I wear that says that. And I think that's true with anybody. If you really believe you can do it, you can do it. Absolutely. Have you thought about maybe a sequel to this or more books in the future? Yeah, that's why I kind of created the uh, Galactic Guard Adventure, because I want to do more under that series. And I need to do the sequel to this book, which I haven't started yet because I just finished this one. But I have kind of ideas in mind. And so I'm just going to, once I get a chance to sit, sit down and really do something with it, I'm going to go for it again. Hmm. Nathan, one thing all of we authors hate is writer's block. What do you do when that strikes? I think, you, A, you kind of give it a little time. B, you just think about options. And then, C, do some research. You know, think about other ways you can develop the story. And I think between all that, it just kind of comes to itself. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it might be sleeping. All of a sudden you get this idea. Oh, hey, there's an idea. <laughs> you know, it just comes to you, you know. Or you find something that you're researching. Like, oh, that'd be a cool take or a twist or something like that. So I think it just, even though you have the writer's block, I think sometimes just A, giving it time and B, researching. You know, something will come. When you write, Nathan, do you have a certain time or a certain place that you go to write, maybe early in the morning, late at night, at a certain room, or do you just write whenever you feel like the inspiration's there? I write when I have the time, mm. you know, because I work a lot, and, you know, plus I have other family commitments. You know, finding the time is not easy. I think you just have to try to buy out that time. Usually I'll go in my office and just write in there, you know, away from the TV and things like that. But other than that, you know, it's just finding that time. You know, like anybody else in the world we work, we have to support ourselves. So you have to just find that time. Hmm. Well, if you're looking for an exciting sci-fi tale, this is one for you. It's called The Quest for the Key, a galactic guard adventure. It's written by Nathan Ablin, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can pick this up everywhere, of course, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Nathan, thanks again for coming on the show here with me today. I had a nice time chatting. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. My First 100 Cars is the new book in stores right now by David Gallery, and David is right here with me now to chat about it. David, thanks for joining me tonight. You're welcome. Your book, My First 100 Cars, congratulations on having this out in stores right now. So have you really had more than 100 cars? Oh, yeah. Wow, wow. So tell me about the book. Well, what happened was I, when I realized I had over 100 cars, 107 the last count, wow. I think I had more since then, but I said, well, that's unusual. So, <laughs> so I, I pitched it to Fulton Books. Oh, I, you know, and they told me, I sent them a, a copy where I wrote, but it was more like a list at the beginning. And they said, no, you got to beef it up. So then I rewrote it again 
writing stories with each different cars. They accepted it then. Mm-hmm. What kinds of people did you have in mind, the readers, do you think would be really into this? Car nuts like me. <laughs> anybody loves cars anybody that likes the old cars to you know, realize that what i said is some car they had before mm. and some young guy wants you know or a girl and the girls nowadays and something i've really noticed about the car enthusiast community is the camaraderie that there is so you tell the stories of so many relationships and people that you've met along the way is that primarily from just buying cars being interested in cars yeah I just love cars. I love, you know, rebuilding engines the first time you crank it up, you know, stuff like that. I used to have garages. I've had five garages. I've had body shops. And I love cars. Is this a book that took you a long time to write then put through the publishing process? It's a lot of work. <laughs> More than I thought. Especially like editing. I had to re-edit a few times. And they edited it, too. I just didn't want to come off like a fifth grader, but a fifth grader hasn't had 100 cars. So, <laughs> And I just thought, you know, there was interesting stories, like the first beginning where my dad showed me my first clutch. You know? Oh, wow. And he said, you know, okay, I'm showing you this, but that's it. You know, from now on, you change your own clutch. <laughs> I put four clutches, two transmissions, and two universal in that car in one year. Wow. And it was a dog. It was a six-cylinder Chevy. <laughs> I had to back up. Grind it in the first pop of just to get the squeal. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, David, would you do it again? What's the chances of writing and publishing more? I'm about writing another book right now. I'm in the beginning of uh, the memoirs of Flower Man Dave. Well, I'm the Flower Man of Harrison. I give flowers to all the beautiful women in Harrison. I spend about $100 a month on flowers. Wow. Not a bad thing to be doing. Well, it's um, to make girls smile, and I get hugs and kisses and et cetera. I found flowers to be very beneficial. Remember that. Absolutely. I'm writing that one down. <laughs> I'm telling you, brother. <laughs> so what was it like then when you opened up the box that came in the mail and you pulled the first copy of my first 100 cars out and you got to hold it in your hands? What was that like for you? I texted everybody, my family and friends, <laughs> and showed mm. them pictures. Started signing books from the author, mm. which I thought was cool. A lot of people listening to us right now, David, are authors just starting out, want to get their first one out there. Do you have any advice that you could offer them? Well, don't make a list like I did in the beginning. Make stories to go with whatever you're talking about and make them relatable to other people. You know, the other people that you know, love cars are going to understand when I put drop an engine in and just rebuild how, how the adrenaline flow. That's what the number thing I got from cars, adrenaline flow. Mm. And that's when they crank the engine up for the first time. Or or you drop an engine in that you, you know, took out one's blowed up and dropping it in a you know, used engine, generally. First time you fire that. But I learned a lesson doing that. The first time I did one time, I bought it and the guy said it was good. I dropped in a 55 Ford pickup, put all brand new oil in it, antifreeze, had it all hooked up with sauce. And when it wouldn't start, my dad pulled start me. It would barely run. I pulled it down, and it was a piston missing. <laughs> so, I mean, after that, so every time I dropped the engine in, I made sure there's oil in it, but I didn't hook up the sauce. I didn't hook up the radiator. I just made sure it ran before I did all that work. That was a lesson I learned. You, know, you can't believe people. I used to work at a junkyard, and people, you say, well, how's the engine? Oh, it's a great engine. You look, there's a rod sticking out of the block. How could it be a good engine? <laughs> oh, I imagine you've seen all kinds of things. Oh. <laughs> Well, this is definitely going to be a great book. I encourage my listeners to check it out. It's titled My First 100 Cars. How many people you know have had 100 cars? It's written by David Gallery. 
and it's published by Fulton Books. You can pick this up everywhere you get books like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. Well, David, thanks again for coming by the show. I had a great time talking with you. Great. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Corey. And have a nice day. Ariel is the name of the new book. It's in stores now by author Janet Rowe, and I'm really happy that Janet is sitting right next to me now here to talk about it. Janet, thank you for joining me tonight. You're welcome. I'm enjoying this already. It's great to have you here. Can you tell me all about your book, Ariel? Well, it starts out rather a whimsical kind of fantasy, but then it gets into my memoirs, which are rather abbreviated. I believe it was a bit of a cleansing for me. Hmm. I get very emotional about that book. What persuaded you to sit down and tell your story and publish it? I have always wanted to write a book. And um, my late husband um, rather thought that was a waste of time. He preferred that I had a living. Hmm. (laughs) And so I have always worked. And he passed away over three years ago. And about a year ago, I lost a lot of weight, and I realized that I wanted to write a book. Mm. And this is the one that that worked for me. Janet, what kinds of readers did you have in mind when you were writing this? I really thought it it was for an adult audience, but as I got into it, I realized it was more for people who have had adversities, who have not had support. If you read the book, you'll understand that I've I've had quite a few adversities. I had a birth defect when I was born, and that really colored my younger life. My mother was not acceptive. I'm hoping that some of the people who will read it will find that regardless of what they've been through, there's always hope. And I do have a guardian angel, and that is a big part of my life. Janet, that day when you went to the mail, got the box, opened it up, and pulled out the first copy of Ariel, you got to hold it in your hands for the first time. What was that like? It was extremely surreal. I had been published with a short thing in high school in the newspaper, and that made me feel good. But but to open a book that I poured my heart into, that's a feeling that is indescribable. Hmm. And I remember, you know, I can still remember opening it up and, and just, I wrote that. It's a sense of accomplishment. Now, what words of advice could you give to the authors listening right now who are just starting out and just want to get things going? Well, I think that if you have a story that you really want to tell, write it down and get it done. Mm. I just moved from Florida and I spoke to a woman who is her early 80s and she has this really neat story about a mouse. And I looked at her and I said, well, did you write it down? Oh, no, she said, it's just in my head. I said, well, write it down. I said, it's a children's story. And to this day, I I know she hasn't written it down. And I feel bad because there are a lot of people who have stories that are either going to tickle some child's imagination or they're going to help some adult who's having problems or even a teenager maybe find their way. It's very important, even if it's just a little publication in a local newspaper, if you have a story, please get it out. Some, it will help someone. Absolutely. And Janet, what are the chances that you'll be writing more and seeking more publishing in the future? I already have a, another book with Covenant. Hmm. This is a youth book, probably ages 8 to 11, but it's the kind of story that 
you could read to a four, five, six-year-old. And it's not a real long story. It's a fantasy about an angel who gains her wings. And I have some characters in there. And this book has some illustrations. I'm really excited about this book coming up. Well, that's wonderful, Janet. Keep writing. The name of this book is Ariel. It's written by Janet Rowe, and it's published by Covenant Books. You can find this everywhere that you shop for your reading material, like at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Janet, thank you again for stopping by the show. I had such a nice time talking with you. Well, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Last time I got to chat with my next guest, we heard about his exciting stories with a biblical worldview. Now author D.L. Krager returns with In a Warrior's Quiver, Guarding the Past, the prequel. Darren, thank you so much for joining me again. Welcome back to the show. Corey, thank you so much for having me. This is, uh, this is awesome. I sure appreciate it. Well, it's fantastic. In a Warrior's Quiver, it's out in stores now. So what's this one all about? In a Warrior's Quiver, it's the prequel to the, the first book, Guarding the Past. So this is In a Warrior's Quiver, Guarding the Past, the prequel. And it, it basically goes back, you know, obviously before the first book and time. So the first book is basically up to date. It's in our time frame right now. In a Warrior's Quiver goes back to the time of King David, King Solomon, and really digs in deep to uh, exciting stuff with King David's mighty warriors when they started growing their small army of warriors mm. and how special they were and how significant they were for the nation of Israel. It really focuses on a certain character. His name is Shariah. Starts out as a young boy. He's adopted into this group of warriors under the command of King David. And the book goes on and talks about him becoming a warrior over time. He, the, all the children start training to be warriors, to be a mighty warrior for the king of Israel and for King David. Shariah is a significant young boy, and we focus on him and his growth and his maturity and how God has blessed him with unique, incredible talents physically and, and mentally for war and for battle. He becomes the youngest mighty warrior of all the mighty warriors there under King David. If you read in the Bible, it talks about to become a mighty warrior, you had to have slain 300 enemy warriors in one battle. Wow. So one battle you had to <laughs> slay, and that's in the Bible. So it's an exciting, great story for men and women. You know, I've got also a little romance in there, really focus on, you know, King David and the mighty warriors. But then later on, it goes into where Shariah how he grows up and he actually becomes the general of the Israelite army under King Solomon, King David's son, who uh, becomes the, you know, we all know is that becomes the wisest man ever, mm -hmm. uh, excluding Jesus, of course. But uh, <laughs> Shariah is his general for the Israel army, plus King Solomon's personal bodyguard. The story outline is Shariah is actually General Shariah is uh, sent out on a mission and through a chain of events and a stormy weather and getting shipwrecked, he, him and a few warriors that survived this shipwreck finds a hidden secret in another country now that we call Turkey because he finds himself on Mount Ararat, which we all know if you look biblically, 
what was on Mount Rarat? It was Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. If you read the first book, Guarding the Past, there's a great secret in that. And it's uh, it's about Noah's Ark and everything. So, And what was in it, left by Noah, a message that he had put inside the Ark for future generations. Mm. Yeah, this story is just an exciting story of King Solomon gives General Shirai a new epic mission, and that is to go back to where he found this incredible find, Noah's Ark, and to actually move it, to have it hidden in a better location, because he feels that uh, God has uh, spoke to him and that he needs to hide it in a more secluded area, that actually the mighty warriors protect it and keep it secret for generations until God wants it revealed to the world. Mm. And that's where the first book, Guarding the Past, that's where that story connects and stuff. So, mm. Darren, you're quite the busy author. So what do you got coming next? Oh, my. So I'm kind of taking temporarily a different path. And my wife, Shelly, Shelly Krager, and I have also, we've just completed another book. Mm. It's called Is Your Life Out of Order? So this is actually a nonfiction book, which is a relational, instructional book primarily focusing on marriages, but it is actually helps people understand that that we have relationships in our lives and we need to prioritize those relationships to have harmony, to have a right order of relationships so things fit together and blend and just more harmony and where there's balance, joy, and contentment. So that's coming out in March. We're really looking forward to it. Like I said, it's going to kind of a different direction because my other books have been Christian fiction, adventure, mystery. Mm. This one's a nonfiction, but it's a nice, short, sweet book, and uh, it's fun and exciting, and we just have a blast, had a blast writing it, and we're coming from a lot of experience. We're looking forward to all those. I encourage my listeners to check out D.L. Krager's book, In a Warrior's Quiver. This is Guarding the Past, the prequel. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this everywhere, of course, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you get books. Darren, thanks again for stopping by the show. Again, had a great time chatting as always, and can't wait to do this again. Corey, thank you so much. This This was a blast. Thank you again. Appreciate it. I'd like to welcome author Bruce Smith to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Bruce, thank you for being here with me. Oh, thank you for having me. I wanted to congratulate you on having a new book out in stores now. It's titled D's Delight. So can you tell me all about this? Yeah, I can a little bit. Basically what it is is Lucifer has become really tired of being in one place and he wants what he feels rightfully belongs to him. And that's to rule the gates of heaven, to go back up and take over. And so for this, he's assembled an entire team to start doing his dirty work for him. And this means that he's bringing in humans as well as fallen angels to do all this dirty work. He has a young man and a young woman in mind who's going to give him what he wants. And neither one of this young man or this young woman know anything about who they are, where they're from. They know nothing about their past. And they're kind of drug into it which both the characters come together as one, and there's outside inference, and things are working out for Lucifer and his team. But what is not known is that there are other entities watching this young man and this young girl and what they're doing and what's going on. They've got problems being caused. But on the other hand, Lucifer is taking care of outside interference. 
He's actually found a way to harm other angels to keep them from interfering and to basically let these two take the course through all this. And there's just a lot people don't realize in an everyday life what's going on. And Lucifer is keeping an eye on everything. And he's sending fallen angels up to see St. Peter to find out how things are going there, what's going on, watching the entire time. And he's just formulating his plan more and more every day. It's going to be one of those where what's actually going to happen in this everyday world? How's this actually going to go through? And what's going to be the outcome in the end of it? I really like all the dynamics at work there. What sorts of readers do you think would be really into this? I would hope all readers would. It's got some romance to it, and that's going to appeal to some generations of females and even some males. I'd like to reach the entire book era nation of it all on all generals because it's so much that it's going to talk to everybody in some way, shape, or form. Hmm. And when it comes to writing and publishing, have you ever done anything like this? No, this is my very first piece. So it's going to be one of those uh, waiting games to see how, it, how well it is perceived. Wow, such a huge accomplishment getting your first book out there. Did this take you a long time to do? I spent about a year thinking about it and then about seven to eight months writing it rewriting it, taking things out, putting things in. So pretty much all of eight months to get it written. And once you got that first copy, you got to hold it in your hands. What was going through your mind? It belonged to me. It's mine. Nobody could take it away from me. Looking ahead, do you have plans for maybe a sequel here or other books? Yeah, I've got the next one is complete. It's written. I have yet to turn it in. And then the third one, I'm working on it right now as we speak. Hmm. So looking back over it all, what's the most rewarding thing you could say about being a published author now? Rewarding is that my name is out there. The only other aspect of that is don't confuse me with the football player. <laughs> I'm enjoying it right now, knowing that I've got it done, it's published, and it's there for people to put their hands on and read it. And when it comes to publishing a book, what would you tell authors who are about to embark on that quest? to think as much as they possibly can about their story, think it all the way through, and not to give up. Rewrite it as many times until you feel it fits what you're wanting, and to really think about how you want it published, where you want it published, and to take their time about it and do a lot of research. There's a lot of books at the library that will tell you to start here, start there, but to do whatever you're going to do, make sure it fits you and not everybody else, because ultimately you're the one who's going to have to read the book and you're the one who's going to have to be happy with it. Absolutely. Well, the name of the book is D's Delight. It's written by Bruce Smith and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find this everywhere that you pick up books like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores everywhere. Bruce, thank you again for stopping by. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Oh, thank you for having me, and I appreciate the time that you gave me. Briefly, Psalms. It's the new book in stores now by author Rob Hazenkamp, and I'm really happy that he's joining me now to talk all about it. Rob, thank you so much for joining me tonight. My pleasure. Thank you, Corey. It's great you have this new book in stores, Briefly, Psalms. Can you tell me what readers can expect? Well, what I've done is I've gone through all of the Psalms, 
and taken the meaty material out of each one and then coalesced it down into just like three or four lines instead of having to wade through an entire psalm to get the meaning that they want. They can get it here through these brief psalms. Hmm. Now, Psalms is a pretty big book. Did this take you a long time to do? Well, it took about a year and a half to do it, and then about six or eight months to do the editing and make changes. Hmm. Well, Rob, what kinds of readers did you have in mind whenever you were doing this? Well, I said it's for readers of all faiths, and I think it's for people who are interested in God and who may have or may or may not have a relationship with Him who are seeking more knowledge about God and how he's expressed in the Psalms. Rob, can you think back to what inspired you to sit down and get started on this? Yeah, and I can't think of anything that actually inspired me. I was just, sometimes I'll take Scripture and just write it down in order for me to get into it more deeply. And I just started to do that with the Psalms for a kind of morning devotional. And then it hit me that I, I could do this for the whole, all of the Psalms and make a book out of it. So it just kind of happened there. Hmm. Is this the first time you've ever written a book, or the first time you've been published? No, I, I wrote a novel called Jonathan. It came out in 2000. This is my second book. I've got another one in the works called Modern American Haiku. Hmm. I wrote about 250 haiku verses, and then a good friend who's an artist drew up a bunch of illustrations, 55 of them, and we're going to make a book out of that together. Wow. So what's it like then when you get to hold that first copy of a book you've been working on for so long, you get to hold it in your hands? Oh, it's great. It's kind of miraculous. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the most rewarding aspect for you of being a published author, knowing that your work is out there for the world? Well, when people actually read it and give me feedback, positive or negative, that gives me great pleasure. And the writing itself gives me a whole lot of good feeling about it, too. Mm. Now, when you go to write, do you usually write at a certain place or a certain time of day, or do you find yourself writing sort of when the inspiration hits you? Well, when it was with the Psalms, I, I usually just wrote here in my, my apartment office hmm. because I had, had to have the Bible here with me. Usually the mornings are more productive for me, so that's when I would do that. Hmm. What do you do when the writing gets tough? You can't find the words or the ideas or writer's block strikes. How do you get through something like that? Well, sometimes what I'll do is I'll just go to the thesaurus and write down a bunch of words that mean pretty much the same thing as that and see if something kind of springs forth in my brain. Other times I'll just let it sit and get away from it for a while. And when I come back, often it makes sense to me and I can go ahead and write anew. Hmm. Rob, we've got a lot of listeners right now who are authors just starting out. What advice could you offer them? Pick something that you know a lot about and that you're really passionate about and jump on in and get going. Sounds like you're quite a diverse writer. Are you a diverse reader as well? What kinds of things do you find yourself drawn to? Well, I'm, I'm more inclined to read nonfiction. I read some fiction, but the nonfiction, like C.S. Lewis, I read a lot of, Thomas Merton, Simone Bay. And fiction, I'll read Isabel Allende, The Daughter of Fortune, and I go back and read Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird. And one of the historical fictions that I really like is Gore Vidal, Lincoln. Mm. We're pretty diverse there, too. Absolutely. Well, Rob, do you have somebody in your life who is particularly inspiring or motivating to you? I had a, uh, like a surrogate father when I was younger because I started the novel like 40 years ago. 
Mm-hmm. And he was very encouraging and kept me going. In terms of briefly Psalms, I'm in a small prayer group here in St. Petersburg, and they were very encouraging as well. So it, it really helps to have somebody who's behind you and supporting you. Absolutely. The book is titled Briefly Psalms. It's written by Rob Hazenkamp, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can get this everywhere that you find your books, like on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Rob, thank you again for joining me here tonight. I had a wonderful time talking with you. Hey, thank you, Corey. I really appreciate it. I'm sitting down right now with author Chris Riker here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. He's just released a new book. It's called Zebulon Angel and the Shadow Army. Chris, thanks for joining me here tonight. Thank you, Corey. Zebulon Angel and the Shadow Army sounds really exciting. Can you tell me what it's all about? Well, I chose a a title that's a little bit pulpy because the action is fun. Hmm. There's more to it than that, but maybe, you know, maybe I'm just being an author. But let me tell you a little bit about it. It is about a guy named Zebulon Angel. He is an Uber driver and would-be songwriter living in Atlanta, Georgia, where I live. His wife has been cooking up something interesting in the basement. Turns out to be a candy that promotes, well, sexual desire. Hmm. Gets hooked up with the whole marketing campaign. He becomes the head of marketing with no credentials whatsoever. (laughs) They then send him off to China where there's the secret ingredient for the candy. Things get worse and worse. He is an absolute screw-up, and it gets to be a hot mess that winds up in the tomb of China's first emperor, Qin Shi Huang. That is in Xi'an, where that is the home of the terracotta soldiers I have been to. Now, you can visit there. I have not been inside the tomb. Neither has anyone else for 2,000 years. But there are descriptions of what's going on in there. What I put in there also is a little visit from the emperor himself. Wow. You say this mixes sex, the supernatural, history, international intrigue, sharp wit, all into it. So what kinds of readers do you think would be real into this? I think these are going to be, this is going to be a book that people who like Neil Gaiman Mm. or Haruki Murakami or Anne Rice would find very enjoyable. So Chris, you got to tell me, how'd you get this idea? It was a a boil down. I'm in a writer's group and they were all doing genre stuff. I'm thinking, well, do I want to keep doing genre? I don't really know, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I started to write the story kind of straight, just following the main character. But because I was in this writer's group, it's like, well, why not throw in a ghost? <laughs> Come on, do it. I don't know. It is, yes, it's an odd mixture of things. But then again, haven't we all seen the few stories that exist? Haven't we seen them all a million times? Why not fold in a few other elements to make them new and fresh? I love it, Chris. You said this is full of fun action, and I can tell just by what you're saying, you have a lot of fun writing and exploring, and I think maybe some authors take this whole thing a little too seriously and might miss out on some of the fun and exploration and just abandon that you can have when you're writing. I think you need to balance it out. There are serious elements in the book. Zebulon Angel, as you'll see if you read it, is not a happy person. He's messed up, but <laughs> He's living a life and he's going through these adventures. If I had simply told you why he's messed up, it would be a morose, boring read. So I can't do that. I had to have some fun. I have been to China with my beautiful wife several times and I kept a journal. And as I'm going on, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, send him to China, send him to China. You have. <laughs> and I, I was delighted to remember all of the adventures we had had. 
going to China, don't just go to the tourist places. Get off the beaten path mm. and have adventures. And fortunately, I had those written down. Some of them came basically whole cloth out of my journal into the book because this is now what's happening to this character. Mm. Take a train ride in China just once in your life and don't take the fast bullet trains. Take the old rumbling things. Mm. Have the colorful characters all over them. It's an adventure. And that's part of what I wanted to put in there is some of the real feel and texture of China. I love it. Chris, what's the chances of having a follow-up to this? Well, I think this one's self-contained, but themes and motifs, whatever. God, I'm sounding like an author. <laughs> Certain themes will repeat, and I'm, I'm working on my next books. I love what you said about being part of a writing group. I think that's really important, can be really helpful to authors. So what other advice would you have to authors who are just coming up now? Okay, can I give you the standard advice? <laughs> if you're a writer, you have to write. Mm. That's got to sound obvious, but everybody says, well, I've got this book in me. It's like, <laughs> books don't belong in you. That sounds unhealthy. <laughs> you don't want a physical book in your body. Get it out. Put it on a screen. Put it on paper. Do whatever you have to do. Write it in blood. Whatever you have to do, put it down. Get it out of you. Readers looking for fun adventure are going to love this book. It's titled Zebulon Angel and the Shadow Army. It's written by Chris Riker, and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, this can be found everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Thank you again, Chris, for stopping by the show. I had such a great time talking with you and learning about your whole writing philosophy. I hope we can do this again soon. Well, I, I hope so, too. And good luck to you and all of your other authors as well. Jason and the Junk Monster. This is the new children's book. It's on store shelves now. It's written by Mutz Marie, which is the pen name of my next guest, Janet, here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Janet, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Well, it's fantastic. Jason and the Junk Monster, it's out in stores now. Everyone can get it. So can you tell me what it's all about? Well, the story resulted from a family tragedy. I had three children. Aaron was the oldest, and he passed away in the fire, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry. And it was so hard for my daughter, who was six, and Jason, who was only two and a half, to come to grips with it. Mm. So I kind of slept with him every night afterwards and told this story over and over again, because it was Jason's favorite story, mm. <laughs> because, of course, it was his name. <laughs> And then years went by, and my daughter kept saying, Mom, why don't you try to publish that book? It's so cute. And I go, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is, 2022 and, or 21, I got, finally got it published. How did it feel when you got to hold the first copy of Jason and the Junk Monster in your hands for the first time? It was exciting. It was like, thank God my daughter pestered me and pestered me. And <laughs> my whole family's a little bit artistic. We all went to work and did the illustrations, and they were edited by Newman Springs, and they did a great job. Hmm. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing a book or publishing? No, I've thought about it a lot, but that's as far as it went. The kids kind of grew up on a hobby farm, hmm. so there's so many fun stories, you know, <laughs> that are in my brain. I just got to get them down. <laughs> yeah, can we expect more of those stories to come out? Have you thought about more books in the future? Absolutely. I started one, and it's called Mrs. Spitzenhalben. <laughs> hmm. 
And a Spitzenhalbin is a breed of chickens that we happen to have, along with a lot of other rare breeds. And Mrs. Spitzenhalbin picks out her boyfriend (laughs) and she lays her eggs in the hatch and she hides them. And we had a terrible time finding them. (laughs) I think a lot of city kids don't realize how baby chicks come around. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Absolutely. (laughs) But it's cute. Janet, were you thinking about an age range of children for this? I suppose it would be anywhere from my great nieces who are five and 13. They just absolutely love Jason and the junk monster. (laughs) That's fantastic. Janet, you have some insightful words here. You said, what better gift to give a child than the distraction of an entertaining and sweet story? I totally agree. That's what we've been talking about all along here. Can you go into that? And it's absolutely the truth. (laughs) It took their mind off of their brother. And Jason was two and a half and Aaron was 12. Mm. And he missed him so much. There was a hole in his little heart, Mm. you know. And how do you tell a two and a half year old what dead is? You know, it was extremely hard. (laughs) My pediatrician, who was so close to Aaron, said, Janet, go talk to a therapist about this. I was saying to him, I don't know what to do for Jason. Mm. And he said, we just got a new therapist. Go talk to her about it. So I did. And she said, you know, you can go do the Christian thing, you know, and say he's with Jesus now. But how does a little two and a half year old understand that? Mm. And she says, you know what? Go out and buy three plants or three goldfish and let one die and then explain it to him. He'll, he'll see it. You know, Hmm. so we went and bought three goldfish, kept them in three separate dishes. One didn't get fed very much. (laughs) (laughs) He sacrificed his life for understanding. (laughs) But when I showed it to him, he broke down and just sobbed. But he could finally understand that we weren't hiding him somewhere or sent him away. Right. It was a very tragic time for that little boy. Now he's all grown up and he's a wonderful young man. Well, Janet, thank you for using everything you've gone through here to tell a wonderful story and to help others, you know, deal with a lot of pain in their lives. Yes. The name of the book is Jason and the Junk Monster. It's written by Mutz Marie, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, you can find this everywhere that you shop for your books, like on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble, at iTunes, and at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Janet, it was great having you on the show. Thank you so much again for stopping by. Awesome. Thank you so much. Writing is supposed to be fun and a little adventuristic. That's what author Marvin Russell Sr. Esquire says. He has a new book in stores now. It's titled A Grandpa's Tales. It's a real ARF book. Marvin is right here with me now to talk about it. Marvin, thank you for joining me tonight. You're welcome. So what is A Grandpa's Tales all about? What can readers expect? Well, just a bunch of adventure and little fun things to read about. And I don't know, it's just a whole bunch of fun. (laughs) Hmm. What sorts of readers did you have in mind when you wrote it? I was thinking probably somewhere around third grade, fourth grade, somewhere in there would probably enjoy it the most, probably. What made you decide to sit down and write this and publish it? Well, I wrote my first story in that book in 1971. Hmm. i just been writing here and there, and I just put everything I think about on paper. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Have you ever been published before this? No, I haven't. Congratulations. That's such a big deal. Uh, What was it like then when you got that first copy in the mail? You opened a box and took it out, held it in your hands. What were you thinking? (laughs) 
Boy, I think it was a, a dream. <laughs> <laughs> Marvin, have you given any thought to writing more and publishing more? Yeah, I have a couple doodles down already. Hmm. So now that you have your first book out there, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of being a published author now? Well, I'm not sure. I suppose having my name on a book. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any words of advice now that you could offer to our listeners who are authors just starting out and want to get their first one out there too? Yeah, just go for it. Write it all down and uh, put it out there and see if somebody else wants to pick it up. When you were writing these, was it an easy thing for you, or did you sometimes have a hard time coming up with ideas, maybe get writer's block here and there? No, it, it all comes out of this big fuzzy brain. <laughs> <laughs> I can sit and write a story in a minute. Just have to have a big imagination. Mm, well, that's fantastic to be using your imagination and just putting it out there and inspiring others. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, it's kind of fun just spilling your brains on a piece of paper. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Marvin, uh, who inspires you when it comes to what you write or maybe how you live your life? Well, what inspires me is I'm a huge Tolkien fan. Hmm. I think I read it, oh, probably 20 times. It's fun when you learn something new every time you read something. Hmm. Now, you said that the writing of this was pretty easy. When it came to editing, was that a challenge for you? Well, not really. I just self-edit while I'm gone. Hmm. I noticed that you say writing is supposed to be fun and a little adventuristic. Can you go into that? Yeah, it, it is supposed to be fun. I mean, spilling your brains all over a piece of paper and then scrambling all the words and putting them together and making something. Like I said in the book, anybody can write a story. They just got to start somewhere. I encourage our listeners to check out this book. It's titled A Grandpa's Tales. It's a real ARF book. It's written by Marvin Russell Sr. Esquire, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can find this everywhere you get your books, like on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Marvin, thanks again for joining me tonight. I had a really nice time talking with you. Hey, thank you very much. That was fun. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 